Now entering Nerdist.com. Hey, this is the first of the last batch of recordings from last year's ATX Television Festival. The best television festival in Austin or anywhere. Uh, it really is fun. If you guys haven't been to ATX, what's stopping you? Uh, this year it is June 7th through 10th. Uh, in Austin, you can go to atxfestival.com to get badges. Uh, they've already announced a whole bunch of awesome things for this year's lineup, including um, a whole thing, a whole conversation with Freeform about the sort of shows they're doing and uh, millennial programming. Uh, they got folks from Queen Sugar coming. They've got folks from Drunk History doing an interactive panel. Uh, the new uh, audience network, Condor, based on... Uh, Three Days of the Condor, uh, there's a TV show. And that's going to be there. Uh, American Woman, a whole bunch of really cool things. So that's the stuff that's already announced. There's even more great stuff coming. Once again, it is June 7th through 10th in Austin. Uh, ATXFestival.com to get badges, which do it. Yeah, we're going to get your uh, moderator out here from The Hollywood Reporter, uh, Mr. Dan Feinberg. Thank you much for coming out to a network identity, Brave New World or Business as Usual. I feel like there's probably a, a third option to this that we may get into here, something along the lines of, does it matter anymore at all? And I think that'll be sort of part of the fun. So, okay, let's bring out our three panelists up first. Uh, the EVP of Programming and Development from Freeform, Carrie Burke. Uh, VP of Comedy Development for Marvel, Grant Gish. And VP of Programming for HBO, Kathleen McCaffrey. First of all, I want to do um, a little test with the audience. Uh, about a month and a half ago, I went to my alma mater. A couple of people were sort of interested in what a TV critic does. There were 10 undergrads. Not a single one owned a TV. And I assume that this is not going to be that kind of crowd. I assume most of you probably own TVs. But I guess I'm wondering how many of you out there consider yourselves cord cutters to some degree, whatever, however you want to define it. Okay, so that... You too. A little bit. You have to see. I mean, right? You just have to. No, I'm, I'm, and I think that speaks a lot to what the conversation is here. So I want to first start off, each of you, for your network or your studio in Grant's case, in one sentence, how would you define the brand of your network? Holy shit. I'm going to get eaten alive by the rest of the company, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, can, look, you can take two, but no more than two, because we're, sort of, we're talking the pitch. You know, what is the ba- how, do, how would you define in the shortest way possible? Quality, not quantity. There we go. It, that's tough. I think Marvel has a lot to say about it. You know, I think... Uh, there probably is some official Marvel motto that I just don't know. <laughs> I taught yet. That I haven't been taught yet. You yeah, know, well, I could have gone, it's not TV. Yeah. yeah I thought that's I'll where you were going. One. Can I take that? Yeah. I think... I, I think not TV, it's Marvel. Yeah. That's it. It's not TV, it's Marvel. Write it down. We'll put it out there. That's ours now. Uh, no, I think it's just uh, something that I think we 
we like to think about all shows as just surprising. You've got to do something surprising. Uh, and that's not unique to Marvel, I think. That's something you want in all TV shows. But it's certainly something you expect when you see the Marvel brand on something. Okay. Well, I hesitated because we have an internal model that I have framed in my office um, that, uh, that we, is normally not for publication. Um, but we say at Freeform, we like to make cool shit for baller women. Yeah. That's what we, oh, that's what we strive that. to do. That should be the motto. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> what we say outwardly facing is we also uh, believe we are the young adult brand for the Walt Disney Company. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I really Same feel thing. like the first one was probably yeah. better, all things considered. <laughs> I love that. I want to make cool shit for baller women. Let's, let's all do that. <laughs> Well, you mentioned it's not TV, it's HBO. Mm-hmm. And that was a very successful slogan for you guys for a very long time. To what degree today is it kind of the opposite? To what degree are you trying to convince people that HBO is TV, that HBO is, you know, that that's where you get HBO, that's where you find HBO? Well, we, I mean, we still, I think it's, we don't, we're week to week. We're Sunday night still. We're holding on to that. You know, we want people, and, and to a large degree, many people do associate Sunday nights with HBO, which is a wonderful thing. Obviously, now we've made it easy to catch up, and you know, you can HBO Go and HBO Now, which I understand is somewhat confusing, but you, you have both <laughs> options. Um, but we still want. We we are still holding on to like sit down in front of your television on a Sunday night and know that we're going to give you something awesome and something that you will you know fall in love with, be attracted to, want to come back and continue to pay month to month for us, which is um, our, my boss, my, the big boss, Richard Plepper, always says, uh, you have to win the vote every week. We have to win the vote every week. Um, and so that's kind of what we're like, yes, we need you there on Sunday night. We need to give you something that you are paying for. You want, you, you feel like it's part of your budget to come on Sunday night and pay for us. So we are holding on to that. We want people to sit in front of their TVs. We'll, want, we'll give it to you in other ways, but you sit in front of your TV Sunday night. And to what degree have you guys, do you think, been impacted by the number of other networks that see Sunday night because of how you guys branded it as being the home where anything quality programming-wise goes? So now everybody's got their own big Sunday night drama, and does that make HBO stuff less special, I guess, or less unique? I hope not. I hope not. I mean, certainly the bar is raised, but I think, I do think a rising tide, you know, raises all boats. And so the number, the competition and... Uh, you know, all the new networks and, and all the great television is exciting. It's uh, My job is much harder now. I've been there nine years. You know, I started at a time where Netflix didn't exist. And so now that there are all these great networks, you, we just ha- our bar just keeps going higher, and it makes us work harder. We work harder. We are up for the challenge, I would say. I desperately will want to talk trash about Netflix at some point. We, I don't Not- even, I think, but I think they're, by the way, they like, they're mixing shit up. So it's, all right, here we go. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> From your perspectives, what is the audience or the demographic for whom HBO as an actual name matters or Freeform as an actual name matters rather than the individual programs that they watch on whatever service they happen to be watching it at any point? Go ahead. I've been talking to you. Well, <laughs> well, we've been thinking a lot about this because we just went through a rebrand. Um, and... Uh, one of the reasons we did it was, um, you know, the name ABC Family uh, didn't really reflect the programs that were on. Our average viewer is a 26-year-old millennial woman. Um, it's not family sitting down in front of the television. And, um, and one of my favorite studies that we saw before we changed the brand was a psychographic where television networks, brands, were um, correlated to types of human beings. So MTV was like a cool college kid. And... Um, 
CW was like an upwardly mobile sort of tech employee, and ABC <laughs> Family was a Midwestern housewife. <laughs> And that's what we knew. We had to change the name. Um, and, and I do think brand is important, but I think about it like, because we serve young adults at this channel, and um, I, I think they, in the way that apps curate attention, you know, in social media or news, you know, you go to HuffPo because you are going to get a certain kind of story. Hopefully you go to Freeform because you know you're going to get a certain kind of show, and if, even if you don't know what's exactly on. And I still think there's validity to that. Same with HBO. You know, there's sort of you know you're going to get something of quality on that Sunday night. There's not really a through line to what those shows are, um, but the through line really is quality. Well, I'm sort of wondering, Grant, from your point of view, how conscious are you guys of what a correct home or an incorrect home for an individual piece of Marvel programming is? Uh, very. I think it's part of the fun of actually packaging something up and taking it out. Is you know where is the right home for it, and you know who's going to treat it right. And how are you going to get the most eyeballs on this show? I think that's part of the whole puzzle. Right now, there are a lot of buyers, which is great. Um, you know, we, Freeform has been a great partner with Marvel. They're, they're doing you're a welcome. couple shows. Exactly. <laughs> and, but we'd like to put stuff everywhere. But you're right. N not all of our shows are going to match, uh, you know, every outlet. You know, Amazon certainly has a certain uh, type of comedy they're trying to hit there. Uh, Freeform is, has been great because that audience we haven't tapped into really in the Marvel uh, in the Marvel world, and these first two shows we're doing for them really will hit that demographic, you know, a little bit younger than what we're used to doing with our Netflix shows, which are dark, very adult. This will tap into an audience that we really haven't had uh, a shot at yet on TV. So it definitely weighs into the factor when we're taking stuff out. Um, but there's certainly, it, I think, I like the idea of taking something to like five places and seeing what works, but you do think, oh, in the end, maybe it's better here. Um, you you want to see who's interested, and then you start weighing it all out. Well, is there any concern, though, when there's such a large difference in viewers' minds between what an ABC Marvel show is, a Netflix Marvel show is, now what a Freeform Marvel show is? Is there a worry, not so much about diluting the brand, but maybe confusing audiences regarding what it means? I, I think so. And, you know, we, we do have sort of four quadrants of shows that we sort of look at. We have our, you know, dark adult stuff on Netflix. We have our younger stuff that we're going to be doing. Uh, and I say younger, but, you know, millennial age for Freeform. And also we have a show called Runaways coming out on Hulu. Uh, and then we have our ABC quadrant, which is, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and we're doing Inhumans for them uh, that will be coming out shortly. Uh, and then the fourth one is, is our animated division. We're doing a lot of animated stuff for kids and then also adult animation that's coming up. So that's sort of where we are now. It doesn't mean there won't be a fifth quadrant someday. Uh, but we sort of see, all right, of our properties, they're probably going to fit into one of those spaces. And then the second you're like, all right, this property is definitely dark, it's edgy, it's going to be one of those sort of digital or pay cable, you know, your FXs, your Netflix, your Amazon, one of those places. Uh, so that does help, because we have such deep, deep uh, IP that we know a lot going into it where it's going to fit. And we know if it's, you know, The Runaways was obviously going to be younger. It's sort of a teen, you know, drama. That made more sense for a place, you know, um, where you can get away with that. Is there any thought on, from your point of view, or the company's point of view, rather, of skipping the middleman and just getting a Marvel television network, given the sheer amount of programming you guys have? It, it would be great. I don't think we're there yet, um, but I think it... Don't it, rush. Yeah, exactly. That, exactly. Yeah. We love the idea of sharing the wealth. I think, you know, that's a little... I mean, that would be a long ways down the road once you have a lot of uh, episodes to sort of just self-syndicate, you know, and air nonstop. Uh, it'd be fun. I, I'd be all for it. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah. Don't do watch it. Now, Carrie, I want to talk a little bit more about the transition from ABC Family to Freeform, which remains 
somewhat fascinating to me because <laughs> me too because yeah. you had brand wise the one of the biggest brands in the entire world and a descriptor that was pretty clear not necessarily regarding what you were still doing but it still said what it was talk about the process of trying to redefine what family meant and then realizing that just wasn't going to be enough <laughs> um, well when i got there the decision had already been made to rebrand i've been there about two and a half years um, and honestly, as much of a fan as I was of ABC Family, I have five children in my house, all between the ages of 13 and 22, and we were really watching um, ABC Family programming together, and I admired a lot of what was happening there. Um, but the promise of um, a brand evolution, not revolution, to me was really compelling, because I did feel like there was more opportunity to do slightly more sophisticated, slightly more challenging, slightly edgier programming that was still aimed at young adults. Um, but I did feel, you know, Pretty Little Liars was our biggest show, and there was really not much that's family about Pretty Little Liars, right? I mean, starts with, a, you know, high school students murdering each other. Um, so, uh, so to me, it was exciting to get on board that. And, um, and I had a front row seat to the process, which was really fascinating. Um, we hired a naming company um, <laughs> It was recommended to us by the Walt Disney Company. This fascinating company, they named the Swiffer and the Blackberry um, and the Pentium Processor. <laughs> and we gave them the attributes that we were going for. We gave them, you know, we, we wanted uh, something that suggested uh, multi-platform, really, something that wasn't just, um, you know, programming that lived inside a box something that would be, you know, the idea of something being freeform is fluid and can be, you know, seen on multiple screens. And also speaking to, and this is perhaps too, like, lofty and metaphorical, but um, young adults are freely forming. Like, they're in process, you know? They're emerging into their identities and who they're going to be. And so when I first heard freeform, I scratched my head and went, like, oh, that sounds like a bra or a maxi pad or something. <laughs> uh, sorry. But I believe it is in London, um, in the UK. It's like a, a, um, a line of um, sanitary uh, situations. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but it really, it actually grew on me. And then we did a bunch of testing with our audience. And they, it was fascinating because um, we have a really social network. And we sort of tried the name out with, with a lot of our you know, fans on social. And they were like, we love it. Bring it. There was not a, what are you doing to our place? And why are you tearing this monolith down that we love? They kind of went, all right, that's cool, and kept watching. Right. So, so, so far, so good. OK, so first of all, now you need to tell us a couple of the other names. Oh, I will. OK, so my other favorite was one of the things that um, Bob Iger had suggested to us was to try to find a name that came from the Disney pantheon, you know, that somehow, without saying, Disney, and, and he actually suggested to us um, at the time, he said, whatever you do, don't call it Disney's freeform. Um, and he shared with us that that decision had been, um, this was before the first Star Wars movie came out, and there had been a conversation about, should it be called Disney's Star Wars? Whoa. Can you imagine? And, and there was a decision made, no, absolutely don't do that, you know, <laughs> thank God. Yeah. And, and he used that, he said, please, I, you know, don't, you know, uh, don't feel compelled to associate yourself with Disney. If you really want to stand for, like, pure young adult entertainment, just have it be the subtext, not the text. So, but, so anyway, to, to that end, I like the name Alice. Um, 
of all the sort of Disney suggested mm. names because it's cool and there's a great radio station in San Francisco that's Alice FM. Um, and it's sort of, you know, she went through the looking glass and came out, came out the other side and had this great adventure. So that was one of them. I think Ink was another one. Um, I and C or I and K? I and K. I and K because, you know, the sort of... Um, Walt Disney first drew Mickey Mouse with a drop of ink, and ink is the sort of molecule of creativity for Mm -hmm. writers. And then we found out that it means something um, vulgar in, I think, Arabic. So we we, we abandoned that, and Freeform won the day. (laughs) What's the line where between a female hygiene situation in the UK and something obscene in Arabic where one is one that you cross off and the other one is still okay? It was (laughs) not my department. I like Iger's suggestion. We could have had Disney's Marvel's New Warriors on Disney's Freeform. Every time I review one of your shows, it's Netflix's Marvel's... When do you decide that you guys need to have the Marvel's possessionary credit. We have a great publicity team somewhere who does that. You know, they get into it. <laughs> I see it, and it's you know, it, it is always there. You know, the, the brand thing. Um, I think, uh, you know, it certainly comes early in the process. There's an understanding that that's going to be somewhere uh, in the name. And I want to keep harping on Freeform a little bit more here, <laughs> because, Go ahead. because it's fun. Do you find that? <laughs> do you find that young viewers? are more easily able to adapt to something like that and that you hear from sort of the older, grumpier viewers like me that it's really, really confusing um, and that it's not the ABC family that we didn't exactly grow up on, but, you know, watched a certain period of... Do old people get grumpier about it? 100%. It was... <laughs> There was this invisible line of demarcation when I would have a conversation with somebody. If they were over 35, they went, well, that's a terrible idea. That's a really stupid name. And then under 35, people just went, okay, cool. Like, are you going to have the same shows on? I said, yes. They went, all right, I'm watching. It was bizarre. It happened over and over again. And in fact, I'll tell an anecdote. Uh, There was a pilot that we produced uh, around that time. Uh, It was January of of last year. And... um, it was a family comedy uh, from the point of view of a young girl coming of age in Queens. And when we tested it, I believe this was February, so Freeform had been two months old, the testing audience said, mm, that show really feels like ABC Family. It doesn't feel like Freeform. And we said, we don't even know what Freeform is yet. How do you think that you know? But there was this, uh, this sort of subtle understanding of what it was, and they just bought into it. So. So, Grant, why do Cloak and Dagger and New Warriors feel freeform, but they maybe wouldn't have felt ABC Family? I, I was going to ask that question. I think with Marvel and your decision, you know, buying those shows, the idea is, you know, because you're going to get your core freeform audience, but it's also, you're going to grow it. I think that there's going to be different people yeah. who tune in, right? And that, will, yeah. that seems like a no-brainer for a network sort of starting out with a new brand, yeah. uh, which I think is a great opportunity for both of us. It just made sense. Here's somebody who's starting something new. Let's get in on the ground floor and help them get a new identity, basically, without losing the old one. And in truth, Cloak and Dagger had been in development at ABC Family before I got there, and it was a script sort of sitting dormant on a shelf. And I came in really wanting to do something with Marvel, not just for the sake of being a business with Marvel, but because I have a house full of teenagers that were reading it and, and watching it, and so wanting to find a property that felt 
um, that felt right for us, that felt more appealing to young people. And so I first, I called Jeff Loeb, Grant's boss, and introduced myself. And I said, I'm, I'm here now at, at ABC Family, and I'd like to, you know, talk to you again about this Cloak and Dagger show. And he literally was like, ha, 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 ha click. <laughs> like, I mean, no, I, like, like, sure, call me back when you spend more money on your shows, click. Um, and, and I will be honest, that is part of, part of the evolution, is we did... Um, we did endeavor to expand our budgets and to uh, raise the production quality um, and to really put more money on the screen. And, and for Marvel, that was the, um, the thing, I think, that convinced them that we um, weren't going to take their show and, you know, go, sh- you know, shoot it in Santa Clarita in five days and have it sort of look like everything else. Um, so we made a pledge to really, um, you know, put the quality on the screen and really spend more money than we had on anything before. Um, and then the rest has been really uh, a joy. joy. Joe Pekaski, who, I don't know if Eric Greenberg is here, but had been an old friend of mine from Heroes Days, had written the original script. He'd then gone on to create Underground and got the call, you know, would he want to come back and rewrite this thing? And he was so funny. He called and he said, like, that was bad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a whole new... Let me, I'm a better writer now. Let me rework this thing. And he did, and he wrote an amazing script. And the, the pilot's so good. I, I hope you get the chance to see it. It's, I'm so, so proud of it. Well, what percentage of the things that are still in your pipeline are kind of still leftovers that were at least started in the ABC Family days? Or is this maybe going to be one of the last ones from that era? I th- that would be the last. Yeah, I think the... Um, we've launched some shows that are doing well for us um, that were sort of... They were in development, a show called Stitchers... Um, that may be actually the only one. Um, everything else, I think, um, is new. And, and Cloak and Dagger was really the only one. From now on, it'll all be... Well, actually, starting at Beyond was, was new development. Shadowhunters was new development. Um, the Bold Type, which uh, right. premiering next month, new development. So mo- mostly new now. Now, Kathleen, today is, of course, the 10th anniversary of The Sopranos finale. And mm-hmm. that was a... That was a pretty big... it went to black? <laughs> Still can't get over it. <laughs> so I guess I have to ask you, did Tony Soprano die at the end of The Sopranos? I don't know. I wasn't She's lying. There then. They I all know at HBO. I, I wasn't there then, and then when, when I got to HBO, Chase had gone off to France. And so I guess we'll never know. No, he has something new, but um, he'll be back. But I didn't expect you to actually tell me. But I no. actually don't know. What? I would love to know. I was a fan. I was like, what happened to my TV? <laughs> But I remember so vividly when that show was going off the air, the how is HBO going to replace that yeah. show, but also, more importantly, how is HBO going to continue to be HBO yep. without that show? And it took three or four years, really, before it settled into a new identity, and that had, I would say, a fair amount to do with Game of Thrones, and now that's coming yep. to an end. I'm sort of curious about how you see the shift of identity from the HBO that was The Sopranos' HBO to now... Game of Thrones is HBO. I know, it's a great question. I mean, it's what it's our challenge every morning when we wake up. It's like, you, and, and I think I said this yesterday, so sorry for being redundant, but when Game of Thrones, when I started, it was the time where it was like, well, now you, Sopranos is gone, Sex and the City is gone, like, what are you going to do? Um, and Game of Thrones, we didn't, they were like, what's the next Sopranos? And nobody could have guessed it would be Game of Thrones, right? So it's like, we didn't know that that was going to be what it's become. So I guess our hope is, we're obviously we're doing the spinoffs, as mentioned, but we're, you know, we're, so we're trying to stay in that genre. It's working really well for us. But also, we don't know. We, we're, we're just trying to develop really high-quality material and hope. You, know, you always hope that something takes flight. You always, you know, like I, would have also, I would also say that we didn't think Big Little Lies was going to be what it was. And Big Little Lies is 
you know, I think I think is the biggest show for women's and sex in the city. Like, and that's a long time. And so now we're like, oh, women. Yeah, let's do that. Let's, you know, like there's, so maybe it's the women that are going to show up and make, you know, and, and it sort of, you know, come into the brand. And so um, I think part of it is we try to program, you know, we program for more niche audiences, but we also, we're very true to our creators. We have a new show from David Simon. We have a new show from, from Alan Ball. And so the pe- we kind of stick with our peeps to like stay on brand. And then you can also supplement that with like Anissa Ray or, you know, we're doing Room 104. I hope you come today to see it. It's like super awesome. You know, something a little bit smaller, but for maybe younger people than the people going to watch the Alan Ball show. So we try to balance that way. But when you know that you have the capacity to get an audience of the size that a Game of Thrones yeah, gets crazy. or a female audience the size that, and I assume plenty of men probably watch Big Little Lies as well. Yeah, some, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great show. <laughs> Sorry, the women and Grant who watch Pretty Little The women little and Lies. Grant. I'll take it, yeah. yeah. Yep. In good company, yeah. But how, how does that affect your decision-making process when you go, okay, yes, we, we want to remain in the, in the David Simon business, but we also know that the David Simon business is a niche business. It's yeah. going to do this right. audience, but not... Although I wonder about this new one, The Deuce, that's coming out. Because this one, you know, again, this will be the most commercial thing he does. It's got James Franco playing twins and Maggie Gyllenhaal. So in terms of, he, this is the first time, you know, obviously David usually uses no-name cast or sort of like high actors that we don't, that, are not, that don't have star power. And so may, maybe, like who knows? Do you know what I mean? Like we're like, okay, maybe that'll find a big audience. Who knows? And um, Ballers, for example, huge, huge audience for us. It's our biggest half hour. So you're like, okay, like The Rock is, makes a difference. And so you kind of just go, <laughs> people like him. Who knew? So you kind of, you know, you can't predict, but you sort of like, you can find one or two things that you're like, you know what, I think it, you always hope that it snowballs, I guess is the thing. Like you start with something that you're confident in and that we really are excited about, and then you just hope that people agree even like young pope we were like oh i don't know if anyone's gonna watch it and then suddenly everyone was talking about it and it was a really cool thing and obviously it's not a huge juggernaut in terms of ratings but we care less about that than we do about just the buzz around it so that works for us for example do you have big young pope thoughts Grant? i, I get the love that show yeah. i don't want to keep heaping it's praise funny. on you cat but i love the young pope i'll take it keep yeah. it coming <laughs> But how does a surprise impact you in development? Like, if you know that, if, you're, if you've got in your gut that dot, dot, dot is going to be a success, you can go, okay, we can already start developing things around it. But when you suddenly find out after eight episodes have aired that Big Little Lies is huge, how do you yeah. go, wait, it's going to take us another year and a half to get something to capitalize on that? How do we do that? Well, you kind of, again, great question. We talk about it all the time. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's a live conversation with us. It's sort of like, we didn't know... And we still don't know if Big Little Lies will come back for season two, it's, but it's a conversation. They're talking about it. And so that was, that's new. And so we're hopeful. And it won't happen for a while, but we hope that that same audience will come back again. And again, just the Sunday night thing, you know, we, everybody gets a turn in terms of our scheduling. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, everybody watches Game of Thrones, so all of y'all are watching that, I presume. But, like, otherwise, otherwise, like, we'll do something for you, we'll do something for you, and it kind of, like, goes that way, you know. So when Big Little Lies comes around again, it'll be, you know, hopefully that same audience will come back. Grant, I want to talk a bit about the idea of comedy in a brand which is known to have comedy integrated in it, yep. but not necessarily comedy. Uh, DC had its first live-action comedy on this year in Powerless, and there were very specific rules that were given to them at all times regarding the things within the universe that they could laugh at versus the things that were sacrosanct and not mm-hmm. allowed. And I assume that, obviously, a lot of that has to do with the difference in corporate cultures and tone, but as you guys think about laughing at Marvel, how able are you to laugh at yourselves? Uh, very, I think. You know, uh, my boss, Jeff Loeb, who Carrie mentioned, always tells writers when they come in and 
he's telling them about a show that we're looking for writers new. He's pitching them on the idea, and then they'll come back and pitch us their take. He says, that's always their first question. What can we do with these characters? What can we do with Marvel? He says, imagine you've got a 10-lane highway. Take all the lanes you need. Every, but remember, there are guardrails. Like, you just don't drive off the cliff. You know, stay in the highway, but you can do whatever you want. So there's a lot of leeway there. Uh, there are folks within Marvel who know the brand really well, including Jeff, who, you know, who's written comics and go, uh, you know, knows everyone on the publishing side. They'll be there to referee if they go out of bounds uh, with a character. So we just let them run wild. And then if we have to pull them back for whatever reason we will. There's safeguards against that. But we also understand like, you need to have a little fun, particularly in comedy. Uh, I think as long as you stay true to the character, um, you know, for example, Deadpool, you're going to get a lot of that comedy that's self-referential because it's part of the character. It'd be a little more natural maybe coming from Squirrel Girl making a joke about something in the Marvel world because that's just not who she is. So I think as long as you stay true to the character, there's absolutely opportunity in there to have fun with it. Well, I am kind of curious about what the guardrails, about, a little bit more about the guardrails. It's specific. It's very specific. You know, it changes based on the character and the IP and the comic. Um, you know, I don't have any really real specifics because it comes up, it comes up fair, fairly good amount, but it's never like, don't do that. It's always like, how about not this? You know, come back in a little bit here. Um, but it's usually very easy. It's just sort of part of the process. And I think every writer we've worked with expects that. They know there is going to be a little bit of the Marvel element of sort of the Marvel um, overlords looking down, saying this is our very important IP, handle with care, but have fun. And, and you know, you've got to make a good TV show, so you've got to have a little bit of leeway. Well, Carrie, what has your experience been with, with yeah. that and with the guardrails? I have to say, so far, so good. They, nothing has been uh, sacrosanct, is that, is that the right word? Um, n- nothing has been too precious to make fun of. And the, and the premise of New Warriors and Squirrel Girl is they are emerging superheroes anyway. So their powers are nascent and bad for the most part. Yeah. So they really lend themselves to m- making fun of themselves anyway as characters. Yeah. Um, and since they are, the you know, out, outside of Squirrel Girl, who has, I think, a big place in the hearts of a lot of people in the MCU. Um, but she's an inherently odd comedic character in the in the first place so truly i'm not gonna call bullshit on grant so far that we've been like uh we've been having a ball they've been going for it well i asked grant sort of a variation on this in a panel yesterday why was the decision to make it the new warriors and not squirrel girl and the new warriors you know sort of not foregrounding squirrel girl who has her very particular group of advocates <laughs> who are freeform fans yeah. um oh why, well, we didn't really make that decision. Um, it was the, the script came to us written yeah. um, and uh, as conceived. It was really um, her at the center. She really is the first among equals uh, in the show. She's really the point of view character for, uh, and, and that's why it made sense for our audience. I, I think if, if one of the other, uh, not that we don't have male leads because we do, but I think we, we were really passionate about Squirrel Girl anyway and chasing her as a character. I think our head of development wore her squirrel girl hat in the pitch, um, which is perhaps how we won the day. Um, So we love that she's the featured character, but she doesn't need to be in the title. I think the fans that know her are going to come knowing she's in the show. Now, Grant, in any given week, how many times would you say that you hear Jeff Loeb say, hashtag it's all connected? Because I've never been I'm to not a going panel. on the record saying anything that Jeff said. You know, never. I think there's, oh. a lot, there's so much fun on the comedy side where, yes, we know there are, there are specific rules that you have to follow, you know, because there's giant 
there's a lot of money made in the feature side. We don't own all of these properties. You know, a lot of them are Fox. So, yes, it's all connected. You know, it's all the same universe. But it's, it's rare that that comes up, you know, oh, remember, we're all in the same world. Because it's just natural, I think. Uh, all of the places that our shows exist are real. Cleveland, New York, San Francisco, we're at uh, New Orleans. Um, as opposed to D.C. where they have, you know, Gotham and Metropolis, which uh, I think may make it a little more confusing with ours. It just kind of, it's easy. It goes down easy. There's not a lot of explaining that needs to be done. But you still have the cinematic properties that exist. And so Daredevil exists as a cinematic property. And, well, not currently, but, you know, it could again. And then there's the Netflix version or Deadpool does exist as a cinematic character and now an FX character. How are those two kind of working in tandem, the the two uh, Deadpools? It's a good question. I think, again, it goes to every piece of IP is different uh, based on who owns it at the moment uh, and what that deal was that was made 20, 30 years ago. I think in the case of Deadpool, it was just the deal that was made uh, that we retained um, rights to probably animation. Uh, that we were allowed to do the animation for TV. Um, it's as simple as that sometimes. I'm sure there's a lot of paperwork that goes into it, but I, usually there's cases of what the original deal was. I think with our other shows, we try not to dip into the world of, say, the Avengers. You know, you're not going to see uh, uh, an Ant-Man live-action drama anytime soon, just because that's that's, he's there, you know, maybe 10 years down the line or whenever. You know, they may say, you know what? We did it. We had a run. Give it a shot. Because we don't want to. St- Everybody works really well together. You don't want to step on any toes. Everybody's got their own properties right now at the moment. Um, I, I always like to think there's one person in the New York offices who has like a, a beautiful mind desk board to keep track. Because there's eleven thousand characters and a lot of them cross over. And I don't know how they keep track, but we just if we have a question, we just send it up to the really legal team. Eleven thousand. It's something like that. I, I That's don't insane. don't Wikipedia right now because it's probably wrong. But it's uh, <laughs> it's something like that. It's it it. There are a lot, a lot. When it comes to network identity and sort of how people are watching things differently, in 2014, Kathleen, when the Amazon HBO licensing deal came out, it was it was a big deal. It was a huge deal. And now suddenly, three years later, it seems like a less big deal and it's kind of being phased out to some degree. How do you think that reflects on sort of, I guess, things people could have anticipated in 2014 versus yeah. where we stand today? how people watch TV and how people... I think it's... I mean, it stresses me out to think about, <laughs> truly, when I think about, you know, how people watch TV, because I... It makes me feel old also. I'm like, I'm old school. I want to sit and watch a television, and that is sort of... You know what I mean? I don't think for me on a, watching something on my iPhone would feel as fulfilling. It, it doesn't. So, But it probably makes, you know, means I'm old. But, um, but, um, but in terms of what we're doing now and sort of, you know, and I think... This is probably saying too much. I probably shouldn't say it. But, you know, we're working to figure out HBO Now and HBO Go together as, as sort of like we're going to have our own platform for something. And that was something we'd always hoped for. And we tried, you know, for a minute to do um, original programming for it, for the streaming service, like back in the day. And now we're, you know, look, as a, as a development executive who can only program for a Sunday night slot, I, I personally, and this is not HBO thing, I personally hope that we can start to program direct to streaming because that's what people are watching. And that is the way it's going. And now I feel like, it, though we're so proud of that Sunday night, you know, brand and the, the thing, we also, have, I think, why not do more things and do, you know, try to bring that to another platform. And I, you know, it's changing rapidly. And I think we're, we're, we're looking at it. You know, we personally are, we, we HBO are looking at it and going like, okay, well, people are watching on these, these other ways. And so why don't we give them something to watch in this other way? So um, I'm hopeful that me personally, just because we have good stuff that comes in and sometimes it's a matter of real estate that you can't get a great show on the air because you have 
you know, Westworld season two and you have stuff coming back, which is wonderful and it's working. But, you know, sometimes there's stuff you just want to try and, like, that would be cool to have another way to do it. And I think people will show up because that's what's happening, right? That was crazy. That was to some degree what the Jon Stewart thing was supposed to be, right? That it was supposed to at least have the potential. Yeah. What did you learn? I mean, even though obviously that did not go forward, what did you learn about what might or might not work in that space and what you need to do? Well, I think for that specifically was animation was the trip up. It was like the technicality of that and sort of being topical and on HBO and animating something. It's just a really, I don't know that much about animation. You know much more than I do, but it's a very long and complicated process and it just wasn't for us, it didn't make sense in terms of what we needed it to be. But something else, I mean, yeah, you live and learn. And, and um, I, I don't know that we try animation again in that regard. <laughs> I don't know. Even though we, like, desperately wanted to work because I'm in love with Jon Stewart um, deeply. But, you know, we'll figure something else out with him. But that model of it was like, oh, we tried and we failed. Now we'll, you know, try something else. Did you guys see clear evidence of the Amazon deal driving people to old HBO properties? And, and you realized, okay, we'd rather have these in-house and drive them to ourselves or I think so I think it's again it's just sort of like let's try to bring eyeballs to our shows and whatever in whatever way that makes sense for us and and um yeah I mean yes I think that that's we we're happy about people finding us wherever they find us do you care do you guys at Freeform I know you have a big digital presence because I was scrolling through iTunes or whatever my Apple TV and I saw the Freeform icon do you guys do direct to (laughs) that's awesome online yeah it was right it was literally top 10 yeah do you guys do direct awesome. to your website or anything like that, short form, yet? We do. We have short form that's on the website that we just did as an experiment. We didn't monetize it. We just sort of did it as well, a what development is it? lab. Sorry for not knowing. Um, a show called Party Girl that we did uh-huh. with Lisa Schwartz. Uh-huh. Super funny. Um, we did, how, did long a, are the, how long are they? Uh, three to five minutes. Oh. We did one with Jason Alexander and his son called yes. Dinner with Dad which is the two of them sitting at Cantor's, literally. You feel like you're watching Seinfeld. Um, And it's Jason giving his son uh, acting advice. His son is trying to break into the television business, and uh, we shot a bunch of episodes with them. And just put them up on the platform just to to get buzz and viewership and use it um, experimentally. Well, how hard has the process been of relearning the metrics for the metrices for success over the past few years and sort of finding a way, as you say, you didn't monetize those, but did you get enough information to suggest that monetizing it is soon or that we're still a long way from that? No, we actually, Party Girl, we got enough information and excitement to develop it as a show for the linear channel. So we knew there was something there. We just got a lot of really good feedback and, and our fan engagement with the show, asking for more. So now we're doing, you know, we're doing it as a traditional single camera half hour and bringing it to the channel. Now, going back to Netflix, um, God love them. In any given week, they're releasing two to three original shows, five or six acquisitions from foreign countries, 20 seasons of other network shows that they're just dropping. Um, when you guys are in a business where you simply don't have enough money to do that, how do you look at a behemoth like that on the horizon just flooding the marketplace? (laughs) With disdain. (laughs) I wasn't going to say it. We love Netflix. They're the greatest. We love them. (laughs) I just think they're, they're just, we're just playing a different game. I, for, right? It's like, I, don't, I can't yeah. do that. And so there's some stuff I watch on Netflix. Like, I, there, I can't keep up. It stresses me out. But, um, but 
they're playing a different game and so cool, whatever. Yeah, it's been surprising as a, as a buyer. I would say in the last year, I have felt more pressure. Um, they're going after similar shows. 13 Reasons Why was a script that we had that we loved, that we were thinking about, and then we got the call saying, sorry, HB, I mean, I'm sorry, Netflix. Wait, you developed it? No, I, oh, I was sent the script and oh, I loved it. And, um, but I'd had it like a day. And then yeah. the agents called and said, sorry, it's going to Netflix, full series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I just, just can't play. Yeah, yeah, I just couldn't compete. But you respect it. I mean, you take the full series of offer, forget it. But Right, as it, when I had just come from being a producer, I would have taken it and yeah, run. Well, but you, you can say they're playing a different game, but you guys are at least on a field that's next door. So when you get told... <laughs> that this script that you really liked that you, you know there's no even point of negotiation from your point of view what does that make you think in terms of the next script that lands on your desk that you have a visceral reaction to does it make you want to go after it immediately does it reduce your thinking time yeah it wasn't really like lag time on on our part i think in in that case um given the subject matter of that show and i think given the level of commitment there was um it just was an uneven playing field. And, and I think probably Netflix did a version of the show that we might not have been able to do. So it, it probably ended up being the right home for that content. And we have won things away from Netflix um, and Hulu because it, um, they're not the greatest deals for writers in many cases. There's, there's money up front. There's a big payday up front, but there's not the back end um, and, and sort of long-term potential financial upside um, from a, a business model standpoint. So we have, in some cases, really been passionate about something and, and made our case and, and won the day. Well, from Grant, uh, yeah. from your perspective, how does that work? You know, when, when would you rather go to Netflix? When would you rather go somewhere else? Well, I, I think it is, you know, they've been a great partner, as you guys know, tomorrow. They have, I think we have six shows there, uh, and they've been fantastic. But I, I do think they can't buy everything. They won't buy everything. And as Carrie said, not every writer really wants to go there for a number of reasons. And I also think it goes to your earlier question of, you know, how much do we weigh, factor in, you know, the, the identity of a network before we take it out? And a lot. You know, we don't want every one of our Marvel shows in one place. We don't want to just be, oh, it's a Marvel show, it's on Netflix. You know, they're great, we'll continue to take them stuff. But we'd also like to share the wealth a little bit. And, you know, what's our, what does a Marvel Amazon show look like? What is it, you know, we're going to find out what a Marvel Freeform sh- show looks like. Uh, what is a Marvel... FX show look like we're going to figure that out. You know, TBS, HBO. There's a lot of places that we've yet to see um, that I think we certainly don't want to cut those opportunities off before exploring them. Well, do you guys think that Netflix has an identity, or is volume an identity? I mean, volume volume could be an identity, I guess. You know, we we're the place that has the 30 shows premiering next week. So yeah, <laughs> it's something for everybody. Yeah, I, I, yeah. that is their identity. And also you find anything. Yeah. a vast library. I mean, there are many many freeform shows that do extremely well on Netflix. So it, it's not, I think they're, um, you know, they're known for just more than their original shows. Our audience is watching our shows on Netflix. I'd prefer there was attribution. I would prefer they right. knew they were freeform shows on Netflix, but I'm waiting for that day to come. Well, do you see a shift in which that's going to be likely, or do you think you're going to have to <laughs> find different leverage to make that happen? And what is the leverage? I am not at liberty to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we want to make sure that if there are questions from the crowd, because there are many, many angles to this topic, and so if people have things that they would... Uh, right there. Yeah, I have a question for Kathleen. Um, I'm dying waiting for July for the new Game of Thrones episodes to come out, as well as season two of Westworld. And I was curious, um, you know, watching all the other seasons of Game of Thrones come out of, like, clockwork around, like, April, May area, is that a hard conversation to have when the showrunners come and say, hey, we need more time to do this 
That's right. So, I mean, yes, it's a hard conversation because we have a schedule in mind and we like some things to be annual. Um, but it's, it's game. They work so hard. It's a full-time job. They're, they're in Belfast forever and ever. Their family, I mean, it's just, it's not like they're slacking off. When they say they need time, we're like, yeah, okay. You can, yeah, I mean, of course, you can have it, like, for sure. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, like take the time you need to, make, to get it right. And, um, and it's, you know, it's important to us. But, more, you know, the show is important to us in terms of scheduling, but more important, the, you know, sort of ability for our creators to be, to create and be, you know, telling the story they want to tell, that that is, is paramount. And, and is there a part in the back of people's minds where there's almost a kind of relief? Because if they had come out with a last season of 13 episodes that premiered in April, that would be done. And yeah. now you have an extra year and a half That's to think right. of the next thing. That's right. So buy time. <laughs> no, yeah, and and again, it's like it. We all and again, we do this sort of on every show, Game of Thrones, or from the biggest show to the smallest. It's like whatever they need, we are we see ourselves as you know. Ultimately, our job is to support the people we bring in house, and so whatever it is they need, and, and in this case, it does weirdly work out. It's okay, you know, like we can take our time to to end the series in the right way. Other question? Uh, one way in the back there. Yeah, you. Hi, so when it comes to looking at shows like on your phone or using it as a second screen, um, is it something that you guys have to think about? Like, what do you all personally feel about that? And then how do you, does your company approach that? Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'll start. I mean, we're at Freeform, we're very aggressive about. Um, being multi-platform, you know, or we have our viewers are 26. Literally, I took a poll of all the assistants in the office a couple months ago. It's a cable channel. One of them had cable, <laughs> so we're, we are highly aware of of how our audience consumes content, and they they want it. They want choice about where they're getting it. So whether it's on our app, whether it's on Hulu, whether it's on a set top box, if they do have cable. Um, we want to be able to, we would like to be in as many places as possible um, to get shows out to them. So we really are, are, are pushing very, very hard into, um, you know, digital viewing and digital spaces. The, the last two big shows that we launched this year, in fact, Beyond in January and Famous in Love in April, we, um, we experimented and we put up all the episodes at the same time on our linear channel and on our app and on Hulu and on demand. And it was incredibly cool what we saw. The, the linear ratings suffered, which we knew were going to happen. But, um, but we, more, we got more people viewing the content because we made it available in, in more spaces than we ever would have if we had just been, um, you know, just kept it only on the channel. Great. So that's, that's, our, that's our... Yeah, I think it's just... It's unavoidable. I mean, you have to accept it. I think, you know, we're, we're a seller, so we'll sell anywhere. We don't care where you watch it if you're watching it, honestly. <laughs> um, I think it is, you know, I watch my nieces watch stuff. They, they will literally watch an, a show on an iPad while sitting in front of a TV, and they won't watch what's on the TV. So I think it's just a sign of the times. That's why, you know, everyone's starting their own. You know, CBS has their own. They're all access. You know, everybody, HBO is doing it. You know, it's, it's, it'll be, to me, it's fascinating. I'm excited to see where it leads and where we end up in even five, ten years. But when you're putting the amount of money that you're putting into these shows, into them, how much are you assuming or hoping the production values will keep people watching it on the largest screens possible? Game of Thrones does not look as good on your phone. Yeah. Your, you know, the Netflix Marvel shows, some of those are dark. Like, if you've ever tried watching Daredevil <laughs> on your phone, it's hard. So is, is that a strategy that you guys have where you put money in in the hopes that it will keep people bigger screens? 
mean, we, we still prioritize the linear. So, um, yeah, we put money in hoping that people will watch it in a cinematic way. But, but also, we're not so naive as to think that people aren't watching it on their phones. You know? and, and by the way, again, we would, if you, you use your phone to catch up, like we said, we'll watch us anywhere, of course. But yes, we still, obviously, in terms of budget, like prioritize sitting in front of the TV. I think I saw a couple over there. there. I'll, I'll speak for, for freeform. I think there is a um, slow and too slow uh, glacial <laughs> um, awareness that, uh, you know, um, live plus 35, really, that the tail, which is a, um, the tail on a show is, um, is critically important. And I, I think it's just taken um, the industry a long time to catch up with that. We all... Um, we're slaves to Nielsen overnights for many, many years. And in our company, we just did the like, really hard work of not reporting them because we kept reporting them and saying, but we're not going to look at them, which is impossible yeah. to do. So we just had to cut ourselves off. And, and still, some of our bosses are kicking and screaming, saying, I, I need to know what the overnights are. But, but increasingly, you know, people are watching not live plus same day. And so and linear is critically important and understanding how people watch linear and, and the, the um, DVRs are here to stay and they are, it's just as important a, a way to view a show if it's not live same day. And that finally is taking hold that it matters. Now we have premium cable, studio cable here. Um, how do you guys look at how the broadcast networks are coping with this? Does it feel as if they're keeping identities or that they've realized that the only way to have an identity is to kind of be for everyone to the best degree that they can? How are they handling this question that you guys are handling, do you think? It's, it's a good question. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to speak for them, you know, but I can say that they certainly all would like to think, oh, no, we'll take anything. We'll buy anything. We, you know, yes, we have our certain audience, but there's your broadcast. You want to grow it at all times. But they can't really help it. You know, if you look at ABC, their comedy brand is, the, is big family shows, and they do really well. So they're not going to fight that. They might be developing different styles of comedy every year in hopes that they get one that hits so they can expand it. But they're certainly going to not ignore what is working for them. So it's, it's hard to say. But I think what took the networks, the broadcast networks, so long to it, it, you know, get rid of that next day ratings. You know, a lot of it's just it took the advertisers a long time too to say, you know what, we're still going to pay you for those plus seven numbers, and that's what took so long. You know, they still dictate a lot. Fortunately, you don't have to worry about that because you're not TV. But um, <laughs> it still was a huge factor into them, you know, making those decisions that we're going to only care now about plus three, plus seven. Look here, you guys just acquired the Blackish uh, spinoff, and you know, which was developed at Network. How did that come? to you guys, and why did that not feel like an ABC show to them? Um, 
I think because ultimately at its heart, it needs to be a young adult ensemble. And, um, and, and really during the development of it, we start, our friends over there at ABC Studios and even ABC were saying, hey, if this doesn't work out here, <laughs> if there's not room on the schedule, you, you should really take a look at it. And so we were sort of already uh, standing there and with, you know, uh, open arms, um, waiting for it because he, and he, Kenya himself, as he was developing it, said, "This is this really feels like a freeform show. <laughs> if ABC doesn't pick it up, can I have a meeting with them?" And so we we met with Kenya, sort of during scheduling week, and um, and and watched it, and it felt very much to us like a freeform show. We're going to make some adjustments. Actually, he's adding two um, series regulars that are also college students, so the focus will be more on that, you know, the college generation and, uh, and less so on the adults at the university, although Parnell and Matt Walsh will still be in it. Well, but you've worked in network before and, you know, as you say, you call them your friends, but they're also your siblings, et cetera, corporate siblings. From your point of view, even as a beneficiary, does it feel like a miss to you that that's sort of not part of the business that they felt like they could be in, that they thought it was more of a cable show? No, I actually see it as a win because I do think we have really distinctly different audiences. The average ABC viewer is quite a bit older than the average freeform viewer. Um, and, and, and their audience is fantastic and, and, I, and I love their comedies, but I, to me it was actually a great example of synergy and something that um, we've worked hard internally to get better at. When I got to um, ABC Family, Freeform then ABC Family, uh, ABC Studios and, and ABC Family had not made a show together in 10 years since Kyle XY, which I had just been a producer at ABC Studios. made no sense to me. I know, such a good show. Um, so we've, we, we worked really hard to actually... Um, I con- we sometimes hear a pitch and say, this feels a little bit more, you know, family. And we call our friend at ABC and say, you guys should hear this pitch, and, and vice versa. If something feels a little too young for them, they... They send it our way. Other questions? Let's go there. And then. I have a question for Grant. So with your relationship with Netflix, because Netflix doesn't release basically ratings or how no. many people are watching a show, what other metrics do you use when a season is, you know, a new season, season is being renegotiated or if you're looking to bring a new show to the table? It's a really good question. I'm not hyper-involved in any of the drama stuff that goes on. I certainly hear it and I see it. I think it is, I think anybody who has a show at Netflix, it is, it's, it's frustrating to a degree because you never know how your show's performing, but you figure it out. If, if they keep ordering more seasons, something must be working. <laughs> but also use the press. Uh, I think there, it was odd. When um, Iron Fist premiered, there was a headline, I think in Variety, that said Netflix's most watch premiere. And I don't know how they get those numbers, but there is some algorithm that someone has put together that can measure Netflix uh, bandwidth traffic and see how many people are watching at a certain time. And if it's that premiere weekend, they can say, oh, more people were watching Netflix this weekend than ever. Must be because of this new show. It's something like that. It's more, uh, I'm sure, much more complicated than that. Um, but we'll take any of that where we get it. But I think ultimately, is creatively, you focus on, do we like this show? Are we happy with it? And then if they keep asking for more, then you feel like you've done your job. Orange shirt. That's a, that's a good question. That's a great question. Uh, no, it's not dead. Um, it is alive. <laughs> um, we were trying to make it work with that. You know, uh, that cast has gone on to do a lot of things, and they're all really busy. 
And so trying to patchwork together everyone's availability has proven more difficult than we thought. Um, but we have a great script from Sean Smith, and we're, we're hopeful. Friends. <laughs> I take that again. Yeah. It's it's tough for Marvel. You know, all of our stuff is based on IP, so it's something that's already out there. You know, um, and you know, which is it's nice to be in the position where you can just sort of go through the the goodie bag and see what makes sense for you at that any given moment. But I would also say then, rather than focus on what is someone as an audience or as a writer, I, I think just go write whatever you want, like, and then worry about where it belongs at this point, especially. Like if you write it, you're, you'll be more inclined to sort of find the, your voice of you know this is what you, these are the stories you want to tell, and then you figure out once you're written like hey maybe this is a great freeform show or this is you know whatever but I think just do it because um, I think that's what's fun at least uh, I would imagine as a buyer is just getting something that maybe you never thought about you're like that is cool never thought of that idea really well executed and then you go with it. Yes, I mean, by and large, the biggest hits in TV have come from someone's original idea, something burning inside them that they um, had to get out and not, you know, network saying, these are the kinds of things we're looking for, yeah. you know. So write your passion. What would your answer that, to the that, question be? That would be my answer. And I think, you know, HBO speaks to that. I think, yes, write what you want to write, and then it's your story to tell anyway. If it goes to series, it's going to be your somehow connected to you. And so... Um, I could say like, oh, we really want a hospital show, and then I can get fifty hospital shows. But like, if it's not if it's not personal to you, then it's not going to be that good, you know. Well, how do you feel like HBO balances the we have our people who are in the family, the the Simons, Milches, et cetera, but then also making sure that you can find the next Issa Rae, that you can find the next Lena Dunham. Well, I, th- I mean, they my my boss Casey was there. He uh, when I I developed Girls, so when Lena came in, he. Uh, we just listened to the people who are passionate about something and Lena came in and she had such a clear point of view and such a strong voice and and we just knew she had something to say and so we had you know we had our sort of bigger series there was room to take a chance on somebody with that voice and so the good news is we're you know the culture at HBO is like yeah we have certain you know things we have to do in terms of like the schedule we need a big drama here a big drama there whatever but we also um, are really open to good ideas coming from anywhere truly and that's an exciting thing to but how essential is having a, a Judd Apatow involved or a Larry Wilmore involved just as, as oh, a background it is. no it is you need you know that's the the we're you know yesterday our, our panel was about packaging and um we talk about you know yes it's so nice to have Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon that's dope like yeah you go forward with that show but most importantly you need someone my you know Casey always says like you need who's the showrunner it's the first question always he will open I can read a young writer, a crazy script, will be like, I'm just really passionate about this voice. And he'll, he'll go, great, awesome, who's the showrunner? That is the most important piece, f- for sure. So somebody who can come in and actually make it work for 10 episodes, multiple seasons, you know, to really shepherd the voice or find, you know, the Jenny Connor, Judd Apatow way of supporting Lena. Like, they let her do her thing, but knew how to make TV, you know? So it was, that is the dream, like, in terms of the package. Let's see, do we have another question from out in the crowd? Then as a last question, whoop, whoop, there we are. Follow up on that. Uh, so that is uh, some, you don't really 
would look at that and find the Shona. That's what I understand the American sort of story was. I was talking about Nicole Clemens, that they yeah, actually yeah. put uh, those two together. Well, in that case, we did it. There's, I don't think there's a wrong way okay. to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's either if I find, you know, somebody who I'm passionate about who doesn't have enough experience to run their own show, then... I'll often, I mean, there's certain levels of writers that we're just tracking and, and we'll just call the agencies and be like, who's available and try to make a marriage work. Sometimes it comes in already done. Sometimes we do it. I think, you know, there's sort of no wrong way. It's, yeah. And just to the last question, leaving out your respective networks, who is a network that you feel has a vivid brand identity right now where you go, I like the things this network does. I know what this network shows are going to sort of feel like in general. Who's doing this right? I like FX. Yeah, there's a lot of answers. I mean, I, I, I watch a lot of HBO and I watch a lot of FX um, for both comedy and drama stuff. Mm-hmm. I think TBS. Yeah. And yeah, t- I'm having fun watching great, their great comedies. Comedies yeah. and Sam B. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so very much for chatting about this very, very broad topic today. It was fun. Thank and you. thank you all for coming out. Now leaving Nerdist.com.